Hi, I'm Paul Johnson. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Life Support. And when Jim did go the next early the next morning, um, he went in a situation where I had absolutely no control. Somebody else, other professionals were taking care of him as they lifted him up to the bed. And that might seem like a silly thing uh, to think about, but for me, it made all the difference because I had, when Eric, when Jim died, there was no guilt, there was no shame. I knew I did the best job I could, and it was his time. And for, for me, that made a huge difference in my grieving process. That doesn't sound silly at all. I mean, Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Those are the words of Kim Harms, who has an incredible story of grief, but then finding hope following losses of those around her, including her son. The name of this program is Life Support. Everything you do from then on is different. One of the detectives, I think his name was He was a golden boy. All we can do right now is come together. Extreme domestic violence, multiple rapes. Welcome to Life Support, hosted by Pastor Paul Johnson from Ridgewood Church in Minnetonka, Minnesota. My name is Steve Johnson, director of Five Stone Media, a co-sponsor of this program, and our goal is to use story to bring hope and healing. And now let's join part two of our conversation with Kim Harms and Pastor Paul. So glad to have you aboard on Life Support where we talk about trauma and we talk about how God enters into trauma and we tell you stories of hope. And my guest is telling her story of hope. Her name is Dr. Kim Harms, and she has been talking about an incredible life, and it hasn't always been easy, that's for sure. She's the former spokesman for the American Dental Association, the first female president of the Minnesota Dental Association, but for us today, she's a trauma survivor. I'm so glad you're here again, Kim. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, we had been talking about all of these stages of your life and uh, the suicide of your mother and then the suicide of your son. And right before we ended last time, you just kind of talked, oh, and, and the death of my husband. And I'm thinking more? There's more? <laughs> because you've already had to battle so many storms. But here you are now, and you, you found out, I believe you said 2007, that your husband had liver cancer. Mm -hmm. So tell us about that. What happened sure. in that story? Well, I think anyone that has cancer, the first thing you do is you go online and you start looking up, you know, what are the, what are the survival rates, you know. So, so he was diagnosed with liver cancer in 2007, and I went online, and there was a 5% survival rate, which... Um, not encouraging. Not encouraging. And and it was devastating. That that Just that initial diagnosis was devastating. My uh, my son, Eric, was in high school, was finishing his last year. My uh, one middle daughter was in college. She was at Wheaton College. And my oldest daughter was in law school. And so they were all in school. And I remember having them home for Thanksgiving. It was a Thanksgiving when we told them what was going on. And... Um, it was a terrible time because up until that time, we have this expectation. You know, we have this plan that we, we, we have for ourselves. We have our plan for our lives. And it was really kind of going, you know, as an adult, my life was kind of going according to plan. And so we had this plan, and now this plan was just shattered. Uh, and um, we had to realize that, you know, God has a plan for us. We don't – it's not our plan. It's his plan. And so we went through that initial stage – Fortunately, he was lucky enough to uh, be able to get a liver transplant within six months, which was just a miracle in itself. And um, 
and that he recovered from that. But then when Eric died, which he, was what year? It was 2009. Eric died. So on you January, find out your husband had cancer in 2007. To, to, in, in, in November son, 2007, right? And, and then, your son died in 2009. Right, but it was at the beginning, so it was about a year and two months. So two big body blows right in a row. Right in a row. And Jim was surviving this. He was still, you know, recovering from this transplant. Um, and then, of course, a year after that, I lost my ability to do dentistry because I had a neck neck injury. So we, we had three big things in a row. Well, you just throw that in there like, just well, well of the, course, yeah. I couldn't yeah. do dentistry <laughs> <Right>. anymore. And <laughs> Compared wow. to the other stuff, Paul, that wasn't. In fact, <laughs> I remember like nothing, I was in the right? I was in the car with my pastor, uh, Pastor Thompson from Berea. I was in the car with and I was talking to him on the phone. And I was, you know, I just found out and I was just kind of crying and I was talking to God and go, really, really? Mm-hmm. Are you kidding me? Really? And um, I was talking to Pastor Thompson and during that conversation, he helped me to realize, you know what? It's not the worst thing ever happened to me. So I yeah. just have to adjust and adapt. Yeah, but right. But, um, Jim, but it is another change. Uh, yeah. Within three years, just yeah. everything just seemed my, like my life seemed to be falling apart. Uh, and Jim, after his transplant, which which was good, he after Eric's death, he needed multiple heart surgeries, and and his heart his heart was in good shape before the transplant. And my belief is that by not handling the depression, you know, he he had very deep depression, as did I, when Eric died. I got treated, by the way. Jim did not, uh, and. I think that, that you know within a year his heart went from being in good shape to being a mess, and he needed quadruple bypass. He needed a valve replaced. It was a difficult surgery. Uh, he ended up needing another one later on. He's had septic shock every year for those last thirteen years. He has had one major event that was life threatening uh, after another. But and you know these these things that happen in our lives they affect our bodies. They Yes. We are we are body, mind, and spirit. It's all interconnected, yes. and it does take a toll on you. And yeah. obviously for him, as he fought through trying to emotionally grapple with all of this, his body was reacting. In. Yes. Yeah. And I really want to encourage anyone out there that's suffering from depression to be treated. I'm treated for depression, yeah. and I'm successfully treated, yeah. um, and I'm able to live a good life. You know, even despite all the things happening to me. Yeah, don't ever so. think that there's something sinful about that or mm-hmm. that it's not Christian to admit that. Um, you need to go and talk to your your doctor and you need to be honest. The, one of the great things that's come about in the past few years is when you go to the doctor now, they, they pull out that checklist mm-hmm. and they will ask you point blank. And I don't know how many people are honest, but at least they're asking. So, yes, please be treated. So you're... So you're dealing now, your husband is uh, found out he has cancer, you've lost your son, and you're watching his body go through all these mm-hmm. ups and downs. How are you doing at this point? Um, I was a mess, but um, I was also realizing as I, as I, you know, going back to my plan versus God's plan, that because I could no longer practice, because when you're, when you're practicing dentist, it's very difficult to take time off for anything because you've got patients scheduled. You have hygiene. Pa- I mean, it's 30, 40 people a day whose schedules you're affecting. And it, it would have been very hard for me to take care of Jim had I been still been practicing. I was practicing when he had his liver transplant done. And I was you know working f- full time, then going down to Mayo Clinic, an hour drive back and forth. It was very, very difficult. So I really believe you know God, of course, knew what was happening. And he prepared me to take care of him. 
um, because he had one, like I said, one life-threatening illness. Probably almost. We, we used to celebrate on his birthday if he didn't have anything that almost killed him that year. And it was only maybe two or three times. We just, yay, we, we didn't almost die Let's this year. Let's blow out the didn't yeah, kill you that's candle. Right, that's right. We did. Right, we did. Right. And uh and, uh, and but unfortunately, you know, his he had congestive heart failure and 13. We got 13 years and I, I count those as, as just bonus years for us. Um, he passed away this summer in August. And, um, you know, it was uh, it was so difficult, you know, as when you're I, I was his caretaker, too. So when you lose a spouse. You not only lose your spouse, you you know you, you're living alone. There's so and many. You lose your whole away. identity. You'd lose your identity because yeah. all of a sudden you've uh, you know you didn't even know it was happening, but you adopt this caretaker mentality, mm-hmm. and it becomes normalized. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you look around and you go, "Wow, like I don't have to get up at two in the morning to cut pills in half anymore, but I sort of need to because I'm used to that now. Right. Right. Strangest thing." Right. And and you feel needed. You feel needed. And, and you know what your purpose is. You know what your purpose for sure. is. Yeah. And so then you're dealing with, you were dealing with shame before because of your mom and your son. How did this work into that part of the equation? Well, God did something miraculous. And I, he's there taking care of us. And I think we need to just watch and look for things that he does that probably most people would notice. But uh, when I, I had the privilege of taking care of Jim at home in hospice, and I have to say that when I was facing that at the beginning of the summer, I was terrified um, because he had so many problems that he had. To, he had diabetes. He had, you know, he had so many pills he was taking and so many things we had to do. Um, but I asked God for help, and he gave me the peace. He, it was a miracle to me that when the time came uh, for Jim to come home for hospice, I was ready, and I looked on it as a privilege, and um, and that's not where I started. God, I God did a lot of work in me to get me there. Um, and so when he when he did die, when when he when he passed away, uh, the the day you know I, I being taking good care of him was very important for me, and I didn't want to mess this up. And um, the day he actually stopped breathing for about ten minutes, stopped his heart stopped as far as I could tell for about ten minutes the day before, which happened to be on my son Eric's birthday. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were able to have uh, the family over, you know, after he, he recovered. We had the family over to visit him and say their goodbyes, and there was a reconciliation with one of his brothers. And when he did pass away, uh, it was when there were some rescuers that had come. He had kind of fallen out of bed, and we were getting him back up, when it was completely out of my control. And that was such a blessing for me because mm-hmm. the time before I'd taken his oxygen off to get his shirt on, and I thought maybe I'd contributed to the when he stopped breathing. Uh, and God gave me that extra day on my son's birthday. I just felt Eric was celebrating, and we were celebrating on earth, and Eric was celebrating in heaven. And when Jim did go the next early the next morning, um, he went in a situation where I had absolutely no control. Somebody else, other professionals were taking care of him as they lifted him up to the bed. And that might seem like a silly thing uh, to think about, but for me, it made all the difference because I had, when Eric, when Jim died, there was no guilt. There was no shame. I knew I did the best job I could, and it was his time. And for for me, that made a huge difference in my grieving process. That doesn't sound silly at all. I mean, Satan is the accuser of the brethren, mm-hmm. and his role is to accuse us um, before God, which doesn't work if we're belo- if we belong to Christ, but we do buy those lies 
ourselves. And that I think that the basis of that lie is that we think we do have control. So we've done something to contribute something that we really have no control over because it's really God's thing. Mm -hmm. But it takes a long time sometimes to unwind out of that. And those feelings are only natural. And And so you had to work your way through all of that. And I think that Satan, knowing, in my mind, knowing that Satan is behind these things is helpful for me because I can get mad at somebody and blame somebody. Because we all, you know, we want to, blaming is such a bad thing when you're, it's terrible. But you can blame Satan. That's the one guy you can really blame because he's responsible for all of our, uh, all the bad things happening. And so I... But by, by being able to say, okay, Satan, you are not going to get me this time. I'm going to show you. I'm going to lift myself up. I'm not going to fall into this pit of despair because I, I have fallen in a couple of yeah, times after sure. after Jim died. Sure. And I've got myself out by just saying, okay, Satan, you're not going to get me. I know this is what you want. So it's, it's, uh, it's useful for me to have somebody constructive to blame and to get mad at and to fight. And it's Satan. Well, we... Our culture, we need to blame somebody for everything yeah, that happens right. that's bad. Like, okay, we, you know, we had this thing, so who's really mm-hmm. responsible? And mm-hmm. sometimes we just we live in a broken world, and and God has a purpose that we don't understand. So now you've you've um, this isn't a very long time ago. No, it's are, it's, it's it was just three months ago. Three months ago, mm-hmm. and that's no time at all. No, it's no time at all. So what have you been doing to try to reconcile this new life you're living? I had a friend. We've been friends as a couples for over 30 years with her husband, and he he went into hospice before Jim, you know, because they and then and Jim got out earlier. He died about a month later, and so we've been going through. I've had like a sister that was going through the same things uh, at the same time, and I've been spending time with her because, of course, with COVID, uh, the families are not meeting as they used to meet, and um, she's been very lonely. And and we can talk about how it feels. And when we go into the pit, and I've been in that pit. You know, like I, I said, I had to fight Satan to get out of it. I've been in that pit. She's been in the pit. And we try to help each other get out of the pit. I've also been able to, through my experience with, with Eric and my mother and all the past things I worked through, I realized, you know, God has me here for a purpose. And so I've been really focusing on my children and my grandchildren and whoever is in front of me that I can help, because I think that's that's why God put put us on earth. And I'm trying to figure out, okay, Lord, what is your plan for me now? What what do you want me to do? But I, I I've been able to learn to live in the present, and to focus on what's in front of me, and to find joy in the small things, and to fight Satan when he's throwing me in the pit. We'll be back to the conversation with Paul and Kim in just a moment. You know, Pastor Paul is hosting this program from a unique perspective. After losing his first wife to cancer, he then experienced the homicide of his young adult son. And that's what life support really is all about. It's survivors in discussion with other survivors. My name is Steve Johnson, Executive Director of Five Stone Media, and we are so pleased to be a co-sponsor of this program. And for more about our work, log on to www.lifesupportresources.org. And now... Back to Pastor Paul. That's very good. It's also okay to have joy after a loved one dies. Because the first thought is, well, I can't. It's not honoring. As if the person would care or not be rooting us on. But you've learned that joy is okay when you can find it. And I learned that the hard way with Eric. It took me probably about 
five or six years after Eric died to well, realize you feel like what a, ter- what a terrible right. parent yes, I would be. Exactly. How can how can I how can I smile or crack a joke mm-hmm. now? How can I feel good about life now? How can I enjoy the pleasures of life when this happened to my son? Mm-hmm. But that's not really what God is asking us to do. It's totally understandable emotion, though, and that goes back to what we were talking about last time: is everybody grieves differently. Mm-hmm. So you were not wrong for taking six years to work that through. Somebody else might have done that in a year, but then they had other issues that they were working mm-hmm. through. And so we have to be careful when we're walking with people who are grieving not to put ourselves in their place and pretend that they would act like us because we're all different, and there's no good and bad way to grieve. And I wish that I wish all Christians could hear that message, and I wish they could walk in that message because, in my view, um, People have said such stupid things to me <laughs> that are almost unbelievable, where you just go home and you shake your head and you go like, Lord, somehow help me to love that person because I just can't even believe what I just heard. And I'm sure you heard some of those things as well. But everybody grieves differently. It takes different lengths, different times. Some people, you know, like those of us who have lost children, we're never going to be done. Mm-hmm. We're never going to be done. But we'll be we'll be healing. We'll, we'll be coping will be, to me, it changes. Like, it goes from a sharp pain to kind of a dull ache. Mm-hmm. But, you know, no parents ever finish with that process. Mm-hmm. So what what would you say to someone that was walking alongside a person who had just lost someone? What, what kind of counsel would you give them to how best to be a friend to someone like I that? I think being there with them and inviting them to go and do something fairly. Now, of course, we have COVID now, so all of these makes it hard. makes it very hard. You can't just say, hey, let's go out and have coffee or, or, or lunch. With my friend who's just lost her husband, um, we, we, we're, we're, in our, we're in the pod. We're in a pod together. And uh, so she's coming over. We're, we come over, watch, sit and watch a movie with Good. me or just Good. we have dinner together in my mm-hmm. house or whatever. Mm-hmm. And just being there and listening. And I think one of the best things that I found is if you have – wonderful stories about the one that's lost yes oh there's nothing telling wonderful stories about jim we did that at thanksgiving you know wonderful stories about jim and his funny ways and my son and his funny ways when you hear someone tell a story about how your loved one has impacted them or remember them that's a good thing we love to hear that and sometimes people are afraid yeah don't be afraid no that that's healing Mm -hmm. it's healing and if you're having a day where you can't deal with it, you can always just tell the person, hey, let's talk about that tomorrow or mm-hmm. something. But 90% of the time, they're going to just be honored that you want to talk about that. Mm-hmm. Because I think the biggest fear, and how many times have you heard this at a funeral? I heard it at my son's funeral. You will not be forgotten because that's the biggest fear of the family is that their loved one will be forgotten. So mm-hmm. when people are talking about that loved one, it brings them almost back to life in a way. Mm-hmm. They're not forgotten. Right. Their life has value. And that's what it's all about. Where where are they now? They're with the Lord, mm-hmm. and what difference did they make? You know, did they did they accomplish God's job for them? You know, and that's that's something that I I really believe. But both my my husband and my my son. In fact, at my husband's funeral, it's interesting to note that um, we had my d- daughters and uh, some co- some cousins talk and. The biggest thing that he did is he just made their lives fun. He was there for them. He did fun things with them. People don't remember all the stuff you did at the, at the office or at work or what you did in your, you know, in your job. But what they remember is how you made them feel. And I think that that's one thing I've been trying to do in Jim's memory is I'm, I want to be like the fun grandma or the fun auntie. And so I'm, I'm trying to now uh, remind everyone of Jim with doing some things that he used to 
to do with the kids and with the other members of the family. So that's another way I'm re- trying to remember them is is uh, helping the kids uh, have Good fun. Good for you. Good for yeah. you. And I think we you mentioned it earlier. None of us are getting any younger, and these these mm-hmm. opportunities shake us a bit, and we remember what life is really about, and that's about glorifying God and, and leaning into the purpose that he has for us. And we don't have forever to do that. No. So why wait? Right. And our bodies have fallen apart. I just our want to say at 64, things, are, <laughs> things aren't working like Everything, they used to. So yeah. I can't do as much fun, as many fun things as I used to be able to do, but I can watch. <laughs> that's where you get into the, I'm on the, you know, I sat down in the chair and I can't get up. Yeah, and you exactly. need to push a button or something. Mm-hmm. But the other thing that comes to mind, too, is we're in the middle of COVID. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned those, you know, there are many right now suffering alone because of COVID. And so, boy, it'd be good to just to think about who those might be in your sphere of influence. A text message means so much. Uh, you know, just a, a shout, you know, on the phone, hey, I'm just thinking about you today, because people cannot, they cannot do what they used to do. They, you're right, you can't just go out for coffee. And I, and I hope our leaders understand the emotional toll that this is taking on people. And I don't think they do. I'll to be very frank, and I'll get in trouble for this, because this, this podcast is heard on many wonderful stations, is that I'll guarantee you our leaders are not taking stock of this properly. And when this is over, we're going to see the damage that's been done to people. So in our little way, we can just think, who, who can I text? Who can I shoot an email to? And, and, and don't try to, don't throw in Bible verses. Just say, I'm thinking about you. Mm-hmm. How can I pray for you? And then don't put any timetables on it. If they don't get back to you, be okay with that. Right. But man, we need to be in touch like that because this is tough. It's tough for a lot of people, right. especially those that are grieving alone. Because it's a lonely, it's a very lonely place to be when you're in grief. You're, you feel like you're, you feel like you're really in that pit, physically in a pit. And well, you, you do. You feel like you're down. walking in water, and then you, mm-hmm. and then you throw on the pandemic on top mm-hmm. of that, and you've got like a double whammy. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I'm just very concerned about people in our church. Yes. I'm very concerned about others that are walking through this, and you know they're not connected as much because they, some of them don't come, can't come to church. And so, I think that's a good mission for all of us as believers is just to be the hands and feet of Christ right now. And it's not really, it doesn't take that much to do that. So, all right, we only have a couple of minutes left. So I'm going to ask you a question that you can't possibly answer. <laughs> Can you just name one big thing that you've learned through all of this trauma? Your, your mom, your son, your husband. Yes, God has a plan for me. God had a plan before I was born, he knew what his plan for me was. And the way that I'm able to cope and to manage is to realize that, okay, Lord, uh, really? I do have talks with him. Really? Are you kidding me? But what do you want me to do next? And when I do that, by doing that, and really, I really have given my life to him and just trust him, there is a joy behind that that is completely unexplainable and a peace. That peace and joy of the Holy Spirit, completely unexplainable. I don't know how it works. But I know that I, I basically, most of the time, when I'm not letting Satan throw me in a pit, I have a joyful and happy life, even with all of these things, because I look at what's in front of me. And sometimes what's in front of me is nothing, because I'm at home alone in my little condo with you know, nobody yeah, there. Right. But, but I, I know that God has a plan. So accepting the fact that we don't have control, God is in control, he knows what he's doing, and trusting him, even with this crazy world and the pandemic and all the things happening, when you place your trust in him, you can find peace and joy that are completely unexplainable. That's an excellent thought. And it's not dishonoring to those who have gone before. In fact, they would want you to have that joy. I often tell people uh, before my wife passed away, she 
she took out the church phone book back in the days when they had pictures, remember? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and she said, I want you to get remarried again. I said, well, it's really nice, honey. Didn't really want to think about that at that point. So she went through, and she was picking out all the women in the church <laughs> that she thought would be appropriate for me. Of course, none of them were very appealing at that time, but um, that was her way of saying, you need to get on with your life, and I think that's what they would all say. Mm-hmm. So thanks for sharing yours. It's you. really great to talk with you, and I'm sorry you've gone through this, but I know that there are many who will be, um, who will take joy and hope in what you've had to say. So thanks so much, Kim. Thank you. It's been a privilege. Thank you, Paul. And you know, it, you may be one of those right now. You may be saying to yourself, you know, I hear them talking about joy, but I, I can't find joy. I, I can't see my family. I, I'm, I'm experiencing loss. I don't feel well. Whatever the case may be, here's what I want to encourage you with. In 1 Peter 2.24, here's what the Bible says. He himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And here's, here's the key phrase. By his wounds, you have been healed. So if you walk with Jesus, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this is a past tense. You have been healed. You are not healed of your physical ailments. You're not necessarily healed of your mental anguish, but there's eternal hope in what Jesus did on the cross because he took sin on himself, and then he rose again, and that showed us that death has been defeated and we can live on because one day we will see all of these people we've been talking about, and we'll see them in heaven, and it'll be glorious, and we'll have new bodies, and we'll be with Christ. So just take hope in that. Your life still has meaning. And I want to thank you for for listening and all of our great partners here on Life Support, Faith Radio, MyFaithRadio.com. Video version of this is available at FiveStoneMedia.com. And uh, check out Ridgewood Church, if you wouldn't mind, at MyRWC.org. And I want to thank you again for listening, and we'll, we'll catch you next time right here on Life Support. Thanks for listening to this Life Support Podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make a gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Life Support, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or your podcast player. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and grow the impact of Life Support.